He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. I am back from vacation, fellas. I had a great time in Gulf Shores with my in-laws and her entire family. That was really fun. It was nice to get away from not only golf, but sports for a week. It's interesting doing what we do, fellas. Everyone kind of takes a mental vacation and watches golf. Well, that's our job. So it's nice to kind of get away from sports for a week. Uh, Did a lot of fishing and uh, just chilling on the beach, fellas, down in Gulf Shores, Alabama. I highly recommend it, by the way. Really, really nice place to just go relax. But fellas, we have a ton to get into today. And I wanted to start off by saying I listened to you guys last week while I was chilling on the beach. uh, And you guys did a hell of a job. That was really fun to listen to. I missed quite a bit, I guess, last week. We had a sneaky choke award uh, possibility last week. Missed quite a bit. But I wanted to tell you guys, and T-Dub, I'll start with you. Congratulations on you guys did a heck of a job. It was way more fun to just listen to you guys and not have to work (laughs) yeah it it truly was a great time for sure that there's no doubt anytime i just think like even right now we're talking with my man woody we're gonna have a good time woody will attest we did have a few technical difficulties that occurred so sam your work that goes on behind the scenes with computers definitely (laughs) underappreciated because me and woody's show was a a little bit longer than it should have been if we would have been able to put out everything that we did record it may even been a little bit better woody but all in all, I thought it was a great conversation. And with everything that happened this last week, I feel like we're going to have another one today. It'll be a big week. Yeah, we we got to do two podcasts while you were gone, gone uh, saying, believe it or not. <laughs> and I did a practice run. We wiped it all out and did it again. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I love you guys because you guys are the technical end. All you asked me to do is say some stupid things now and then. I'm real good at that. That's right. We just call Woody up and let Woody run with it. Uh, always a good range session. Sometimes you just need a good range session before you do the real thing, fellas. Uh, let's dive right into it because we got a lot to get into. We have to start with the story of the weekend, which is obviously Bryson DeChambeau. Shoots 61 58 on the last two days to win Live Golf. Greenbrier, and he finishes at 23 under. Mito Pereira finishes at 17 under. Richard Bland and a slew of guys at 16 under, but Richard Bland wins that scorecard playoff to get himself into those points, into that tie for third place. But, fellas, let's talk about Bryson DeChambeau because he is officially all the way back, and we kind of followed Bryson and his rise back from the depths that he was in starting at really live Tulsa you could hear the confidence in his voice that he was getting something figured out and Bryson 
is, I mean, he's using this new crank driver. He's totally lost all the weight that he had gained over the past couple of years. He seems happier and healthier. I know that, unfortunately, he lost his dad last year, uh, and this was his first win since he lost his dad. I think that that kind of, you know, was a big impact on his life as well. But just listening to Bryson and watching him play golf, he's a humbled version of the old cocky, arrogant Bryson DeChambeau. And I love watching this Bryson play golf. And fellas, I know this is just a broad statement, but golf is better with Bryson playing well. And the man just shot 61-58 to win a golf tournament on the highest level. And fellas, this was a historic win as far as 58s go. We've only seen it a few times. Ryo Ishikawa did it back in 2010 on the Japan Golf Tour. Obviously, Jim Furyk back in 2016 on the PGA Tour. That's the only 58 on the PGA Tour. I mean, really, I think that the only two 58s that you really count as far as high-level professional golf are Jim Furyk back in 2016 and then Bryson this year. Um, Steven Yeager did it on the Web.com Tour. Alejandro Del Rey and S.H. Kim did it back in 2021 on the Japan Golf Tour as well. But, fellas, what a historic last couple of days from Bryson DeChambeau and it was bittersweet watching it for me because I was rooting for Matthew Wolf as well. And I mean, he shoots what three under four under on the last couple days and ends up getting absolutely buzzsaw by Bryson. But guys, it's so good to have Bryson DeChambeau all the way back. And there's so many ways we could take this conversation, right? Oh, hundred percent. I think we just need to give Bryson credit for what we saw those last two days of the tournament. I mean, he averaged sub 60, he averaged 59 and a half. Are you kidding me? That's just, Truly unbelievable stuff. I mean, I don't care if you're playing the local municipal from the Burple teams. If you can shoot below 60, you're doing <laughs> something right. And he did it on the course that, granted, yes, it was fairly soft conditions, and, and Greenbrier's a fabulous course, so the course manicure was 100%. So everything was set up well for scoring. But this is a course that hosted P.J. Turvin for numerous years. It's one of the more prestigious golf courses that's around, and you look at what he did to shoot that 58. First of all, he had a bogey in there. So out of all the – I believe all the 58s that you listed off there, Sam, I think Bryson's is the only one that occurred with a bogey. I believe I saw that somewhere. So that's a very interesting unpacked there. And then what's also interesting is we talk about this all the time in the sense of it's so hard to back up a good round with another good one. And he goes down and shoots 61 in the second round. So you think, okay, we'll come out at 65, 66. He plays good. No, he shoots 58. And then – also, on the other occasion, he steps up on the 15th tee, the par three, and I've seen this countless times in golf, countless times, where it's, oh, this guy's on 59 watch, he just needs to birdie three of the last four holes, and he can get it done, and what does everyone do? They'll shoot even one over, whatever, something like that, shoot a very low 60 round, still a very good score, and that's what I expected Bryson to do since he had the tournament control, but no, on 15, he hits that great iron shot in there at about seven feet, makes the putt. It's one of the best drives I've ever seen in my entire life on 16, is the longest, straightest drive. Of all time on a dogleg, hit it way down there where no one had hit it the entire week. It's a great wet shot in there. Just a little bit left makes the putt. It hits, the, uh, hits it just a little bit short on the par 5, 15th, and gets up and down for birdie there. And then, obviously, the putt on 18, Woody. Hard to put that in perspective. But there's so many elements to this 58, Woody, to make it – a 58 by itself is impressive anyway, but there's extra elements to it that add on to it for sure. I think the biggest element here is this driver he found. I don't even know – I never even heard of it because it's those long drive guys use it to crank. Um, 
But if he finds a driver that he's confident with and he can hit that thing a mile and straight, boy, he is tough to beat, especially if he putts. Then you can't stop the guy, obviously. We saw an average 59 and a half, as you said, on the the weekend. Um, You know, if you watch that golf tournament, his confidence level is so great. I mean, it's just scary how he was just stepping up and just hitting every golf shot. And then he felt good with his putter. I kind of like Sam. I was really pulling for Wolf in a lot of ways. And even even though he didn't win the golf tournament, he played really solid golf for three days. And he hadn't done that. He hadn't done that in a long, long time. So I'll be curious to see what he does this week up at uh, Trump's place. I'll be curious to see what Bryson does because we're going to a little bit more difficult golf course. Trump's little little uh, venue up there in New Jersey. So if, if Bryson keeps this on a roll, man, I don't know. That's very good, though. That's unbelievably good. I, I can tell you this: those guys on the PGA Tour are glad he's not out there with them because he could. He gets on a roll like this, he could dominate anywhere. Guys, what's so scary about how good Bryson is playing right now? Now he has five straight top fifteens on Live, two top twenties, one tied for fourth at the PGA Championship in the majors. He's finally putting better than he was whenever he he was going through that slump. Yes, he kind of lost the driver a little bit when he lost all the weight. We talked about it with him at Live Tulsa about how the swing changes when you lose all of that weight. But now he has the distance that he had when he was bulked up, and he's putting better, and he's healthier and happier and more confident. I mean... I just see Bryson's stock going up and up and up, and I know that's easy to say after he just shot 61-58, but I feel like I've been saying this, guys, the whole second half of the year that I like the direction that Bryson DeChambeau is heading, and guys, I got to be honest, I don't know if there's any other captain's pick for the U.S., and we'll get to JT and all of that you know, later on in the show, but just talking about Bryson and the Ryder Cup, I don't think there's any other U.S. Ryder Cup captain's pick that's playing better golf right now that I would trust more in a high-pressure situation just because he can buzzsaw somebody in match play. He really can, and he's a massive, massive help in a format like best ball. Well, Bryson's one of those players where if he's he gets on runs, and he's gotten off of runs, obviously, for different reasons. He tries something different. He's a scientist that sometimes experiments can go a little bit wrong, and that's kind of what happened with this big bolt thing when it all comes down to it. But, no, when you look at the style of game that he could bring to a Ryder Cup-style format, he hits the ball further than anyone else does. He's putting extremely well right now, which if he's – and he did this last week. He didn't, put, he didn't putt very well at the Open Championship, but those link-style greens are a little bit different. But in, and in Rome – it's not necessarily a Lynx golf course, but it'll be it'll be a little bit similar to what you saw over there. But nevertheless, the fact that one of the things, too, about Bryson is that whenever he's on, his distance control is what is extremely paramount because if he's just slightly a little bit off, he'll hit wedges that go 30 yards over the pin. And you're like, what in the hell occurred here? But it seemed like, especially these last two days, that distance control is dialed in. And whenever I jumped on the train as well, Sam, and I knew that Bryson was going to play good, was at, at Live Tulsa when I just saw how hard he was working. He was hitting balls for two and a half, three hours after the round. You could definitely tell he didn't have the disease of money wanting him to, to not work hard. That was exactly Not a big Laney Wilson occurred. fan, right, T-Dub? No, he was. If he, if he was paying attention to, to Laney Wilson, <laughs> he, he was doing a hell of a job multitasking. So good job to Bryson there. If anyone could do it, it would be him. But no, Winnie, there's, there's a thousand people that you could pick 
for, for this Ryder Cup team just because of all the politics. But when you look at just absolute game on who's playing well, Bryson, and, and we'll get to see another example of it this upcoming week at Bedminster, but if Bryson shows even remotely closer for him you did here, you think he'd have to at least get a phone call. Oh, I hope he gets at least a phone call. I, I, I just, you know, the difference with Bryson, too, is Bryson's won a major championship. He's also played Ryder Cup. So, so uh, I'm not sure what his record in the Ryder Cup was, but I don't think it's too bad. So he's he's got that experience that we talked about with Dustin Johnson. You know, we said that that was going to be the thing that kept Taylor Gooch off the team because his major performances haven't been much, and he's never played a Ryder Cup. So you really got two guys there off the live tour that are, are both pretty seasoned veterans. DJ's just not playing very good golf. At least he sure doesn't seem to. I don't know what's going on with DJ. He might be just having fun playing with Paulina. I don't know. Um, but those two guys have to be somewhere on the radar. I say they're on the radar for us. I hate to tell you guys, but they're not on the radar for Zach Johnson. I, I just don't think I, – I don't care if Bryson wins again this next week. I'd be shocked if he gets picked. I really would. I, I – tend to agree with you as far as what I think Zach Johnson will do, Woody. Um, to kind of wrap up Liv Greenbrier, before we get to all of that on the PGA Tour, I want to talk about this. Taylor Gooch now lengthens his lead over Cam Smith in the season-long live standings. And this is a massive deal, fellas, because Taylor Gooch, if he were to go on and win the season-long race on live, he would get an extra, get this, $18 million. Second place on the live standings gets $8 million. Uh, and then I think it goes down to 5 or $3 million. I can't remember what third place gets on the live standings, but Taylor would definitely get an extra $18 million. And right now, he sits at 145, and Cam Smith is at 130. Brooks Kepka is in third place at 112. Then Mito Pereira just on the outside looking in at 105. Bryson DeChambeau at 104. Patrick Reed at 102. Uh, that would be a massive, massive payday uh, to kind of end your year on for a guy like Taylor Gooch, who's won three times on live this year. He's at 145, looking in very good position since he did beat Cam Smith this week. TG finishes tied for seventh. He still lengthens his lead on Cam Smith with that tied for seventh. Uh, Taylor Gooch again at 145, Cam Smith at 130, $18 million on the line, T-Dub. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of golf for TG that be played this season. There's no doubt about that. A lot riding on his performance as well. But if he just keeps doing what he's been doing, I do think he will have that number one spot to secure. But you do have some great players behind him. There are four live events left, but the last one is the Miami Team Championship. And I do believe at the week before when they play in Jeddah, that's when the uh, they lease the individual race for the season is cut off. So three events left for our man T.G. Woody. I think if he keeps it up, he'll get it done. But at the end of the day, if Cam Smith goes out there and wins two out of three events, maybe it might be hard to, to have your deal, have your your fate sealed at that point. But at the end of the day, T.G.'s just been playing great all season. And who knows if he if he he was in position before Bryson goes out and shoots a fifty eight, potentially make a run. He was only what one or two back going into the final round at Greenbrier. So. He's, he keeps putting himself in position, and these next three courses, I think Bedminster this upcoming week is going to suit up very well for him as well. I, I agree with you. If, if TG somehow doesn't win, it, it'll be because Cam Smith went crazy, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I don't think Cam can win two out of the next three 
and I don't think TG is going to fall off the map. So when we when we look back a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, when when Taylor jumped and went to live, we all knew he was doing it so he could secure his family's wealth, <laughs> for a better way of saying it. And if if he wins this eighteen million dollar bonus, I think it's pretty safe to say his decision. Uh, you can throw rocks at it any way you want, but his decision to go out and be financially sound for the rest of his life, I'd have to say these two years have been pretty good for him. Really, really good for our man, Taylor Gooch. Uh, bigger surprise, T-Dub, Bryson shooting 58 or the four aces finishing DFL? <laughs> it, it is fairly shocking to see the four aces play as horribly as they did, as Woody alluded to earlier, Dustin Johnson just very much on a, on a slump right now, shot a 13 overs for two rounds at the Open Championships, Mystica. So he's definitely not playing his best golf by any stretch. So, yeah, it's very weird to see that. But also, too, a 58 is very, very hard to come by. And just some of the shots I saw Bryson hit were, were exceptional. So, I, Woody, I think I'd have to go with the 58. But at the end of the day, I don't think that the four aces will finish DFL in another event going forward. If they do, that would be more shocking. Oh, I think it would be for sure. I, I – I don't know. We have all been around golf for so long. It would have been hard for those four aces to keep it the same role they've been going. Uh, at some point, their team is not as strong without Taylor. There's no doubt they're not as good as without Taylor on their team. So I think you've got some really interesting personalities on that team because DJ and Pat Perez can both kind of drift off into Never Never Land. And so when that happens, that team's not going to be competitive. It just can't be. So – I'm like you. I don't think they'll finish DFL again, but I would say as far as team competition goes, it has rolled a little different. It, it, you know, the team torque and team crushers, and, and th- th- there's a lot of teams now playing better golf, and it, you knew it was going to happen. The four aces couldn't keep that role going. There's no way. Yes, but the four aces, Woody, are still in the lead of the season-long standings. They had a hot start to the year. They finished second, second, third, first to start the year on Live through another second in there at Tulsa, one Live London. Uh, So they have 168 points. Team Torquay, who you mentioned right there, Woody, has won three out of their last four tournaments on live to make a big push at the four aces. Like I said, the four aces at 168, Team Torquay at 161. It's going to get very interesting with Bedminster, Chicago, Jeddah, and then obviously Miami at the end where I think, you know, you have the top four teams get a bye and then I think the next four get to like pick their opponent, I think is how it works. But Team Torquay and the four aces are definitely going to get that first round by in Miami at Trump Doral. That's going to be very interesting to watch as well. But I mean, any thoughts, T-Dub, as we wrap up uh, Liv Greenbrier on Team Torquay winning three out of their last four events, Joaquin Neiman, Mito Pereira, Sebastian Munoz and David Pouge. Yeah, I believe me and Woody talked about this on the last show. One thing that's interesting about Team Torquay that keeps sticking out to me is they keep winning, and Joaquin Neiman is just not playing very good golf. He's 26th on the Live standings this year. Finished 23rd this last week, 23rd the Live event before that. And I'm I'm just thinking, when I saw Joaquin Neiman go, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's for sure going to be a top 10, more than likely a top 5 guy. For example, Mino Pereira for Team Torquay is up in fourth. That's where I expected Joaquin Neiman to be. So it's fairly interesting, Woody, if this team's so young in age and if Joaquin Neiman starts to get his stuff together, 
this team could turn into the new four aces, and they could be almost unbeatable to an extent if Joaquin Neiman could play like we know he can. Well, Pujay was a guy that we always kind of were wondering how long it's going to take him to find his way, and he's so young. I think he's still got a little bit more maturing to do. Joaquin Neiman can't keep playing what I call average golf forever. He's going to, he's going to get it back. Mito Pereira has been the guy and Sebastian Munoz. Those two have been the two that have really come to bring that team to its highest level. I, I'm not surprised at Mito Perez. He, he probably should have won a PGA championship guys. If you really get right down to it, he could have been a major champion winner. He, the 18th old Southern Hills has gotten far better men than him and made him look bad. But that 18th hole there at that PGA championship will live in infamy in his brain for a long time. So he's the guy that I see as the stud on that team where I'm like you, I guys, I thought it would be Joaquin Neiman and, and I'm not giving up on Joaquin Neiman. He, he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. He's, he's too talented a player. And if, if he gets his form back, and those other guys keep playing like they are. You're right. They're the four aces of the future. It's going to be very, very interesting. And Joaquin Neiman, like I said, has three more tournaments before Miami to kind of make some noise and, and to regain those seven points that Team Torquay is behind the four aces. And then you had Stinger in third on that season-long point standings at 140. So they're 21 points behind Team Torquay. And then the Range Goats are in fourth at 131. They have a nine-point lead over Crusher's GC. Uh, so that is going to get interesting coming down the stretch as well. You've got to finish in the top four to have that buy in Miami. So the Range Goats and the Crushers are going to have a little bit of a rivalry coming down the stretch here on live fellas let's transition to the pga tour where they were at the wyndham championship and lucas glover a blast from the past gets the win he finishes at 20 under par shot two under in the final round two shots over ben on and russell henley lucas glover is a great story fellas because he was i mean when i say struggling on the greens he was massively struggling on the greens and I know we don't love to use that why word that we use with such high regard right you never want to say yips right out loud but in his last five events he has the win at the Wyndham he finished fifth at the Barbersaw he finished sixth at the John Deere and he finished fourth at the Rocket Mortgage. He did miss the cut at the 3M Open in between there. But, fellas, he's playing some really good golf, and he figured something out with this long putter, with the split grip. He said it absolutely rewired his brain, that it's a completely different motor skill than what he was doing before on the greens. And I could not be happier to see a guy overcome the biggest hindrance in the game of golf which is the yips because it's all mental you can practice as much as you want but once you're under the gun you don't know whether what you've been practicing is going to work or not and to have a guy actually find something that works under pressure I could not feel more relief for him I bet he's over the moon with how he's playing and putting right now T-Dub great story with Lucas Glover oh it truly is for sure there's no doubt this is a guy who has not been appreciated for how good of a ball striker that he's been over the course of his, of his career. He goes all the way back to 2004 when analytics first started. And since then, he's only lost strokes gained off the tee one year. Out of out of those 20 years, he only lost strokes gained off the tee one of those. And then approach to green, he only lost in two. 
it's just absolutely unbelievable how good his ball striking has been. But the putter, especially there in like 2014, 2015, was absolutely horrible. This was at the height of his, his yip, the infamous video of him essentially shanking his putter where the circle T is on the heel, hitting the ball out there. It's not something you ever want to see. But I, I was very, playing very close attention to his stroke, Woody, and you can tell that the new putters freed him up so much. There was no yip. There was no glitch in, in the system as there used to be. There was so much more free-flowing, very much like Adam Scott. And I believe it's the exact same putter Adam Scott uses, uh, actually. So it's it's very interesting to see. Am I a fan of the long putter? No. Do I think it should be banned? Uh, there could at least be a conversation for it. But as long as it, it's legal to not have it pressing into your chest, Woody, and it didn't look like to me like he was putting it in his chest, Seems like it's okay, and uh, it is great because I know that he's a well-liked guy in almost all realms of endeavor out there on tour, so it is good to see him. And you can definitely tell that his kids and his family are definitely excited for him to get that win, as they should be. He's gone through some um, monumental uh, emotional roller coasters, shall we say, especially when you get the yips and you're trying to play golf for a living. That's got to be mind-boggling to try to go do that. These guys are using a long putter. But it's not like Bernard Langer has up in his chest. Uh, I still will tell you Bernard Langer was anchoring his putter. And you can say he's won 46 times on that Champions Tour, but I don't think that at any one of those he wasn't having that putter anchored, okay? That's just that's a personal opinion. These guys are using a little bit shorter putter that, that allows them to hold it up kind of near their chest but not way up tall. And then they can get their right hand, which – I'm going to tell you, and I'm not a scientist, but the right hand is what causes yips. It's the one that will fire the putter in some very weird ways, okay? So once they got their left hand up that high and they found a way to lay their right hand on the club, most of them are clawing it, that stroke then starts to look like a stroke again. And Lucas Glover, his ball striking, like you said, TG, or TG, <laughs> T-Dub, he, he's been unbelievable with his ball striking, and you just kept pulling for the guy. Find a way to putt. Find a way to putt. It's kind of like Scotty Scheffler this year. We say, just find a way to putt, Scotty, and you're going to be dangerous. Well, obviously, as this summer has rolled on by those finishes, Sam, you talked about, he's gotten more and more confident. It was just a matter of time for Lucas Clever won. There was no doubt about it. So, He's also very outspoken. He will he will say things that a lot of guys won't, talking about what the tour is getting ready to go to, how the short fields are going to be. Even though he's playing great golf, at one time he wasn't. And he still remembers when he was barely making the 125 or had to go back to qualifying school. He still remembers those guys. So there, it's fixed in his memory. That's why even though he's playing great golf right now, He's thinking to himself, I don't know if it's fair to cut these fields and do all these things, and he's not afraid to say it. So like Lucas Glover, don't like Lucas Glover, whatever, he is a good guy. He's a phenomenal professional golfer, and I think it's cool. I, I like that he's won again. I think he's a good guy. He sure seems like a good guy. So you, you pull for guys that have reached the bottom of bottoms. That's why we pulled for Ricky Fowler so hard to come back, because They've been at a high level, and then they've reached this low, low, low point. Can they possibly come back from that? So it's like the underdog. We all pull for the underdog. He was an underdog, and guess what? He's not an underdog anymore. And what do you – I mean, you you talk about he's playing great golf right now, but it's a 
definite not too distant memory that he was outside the top 125 headed into this week he was 112 in the official world golf ranking uh and, and guys i mean he jumps all the way from 112 to 53rd in the official world golf ranking i mean if it weren't for this little five tournament stretch here he would be outside so big time stuff from lucas glover this week speaking of guys that were on the bubble headed into this week the guy that was on the proverbial bubble in 70th place on the FedEx Cup ranking. That was our man Austin Eckroat from Edmond North, from Oklahoma State. Austin missed the cut this week, so he will not be in the playoffs. Uh, so he finishes 74th on the FedEx Cup points list. Adam Scott played really good this week, but he finishes 72nd on the FedEx Cup points list. And Justin Thomas, who finishes 71st in dramatic fashion, hits the pin on 18, needed to chip that in to make the playoffs, fellas. Let's talk about Justin Thomas. He finishes tied for 12th in the golf tournament, needed to finish in the top 10, and he does not do that. So we will not see Justin Thomas in the playoffs this year. Probably the biggest surprise of 2023, in my opinion, at least negative surprise uh, in the game of golf. He has struggled all year, and yes, it was a massive, terrible break for Justin Thomas for that ball not to drop, but at the same time, fellas, he's having to chip in to make the playoffs. It's his own fault for putting himself in that position. I see why people are like oh my gosh that's one of the worst breaks I've ever seen but at the same time he's still having to chip in to get in the playoffs maybe just play some better golf throughout the year T-Dub. I could not agree more Sam yeah the fact that it come down to the 72nd hole at the Wyndham Championship for Justin Thomas to make just the postseason of VJ Tour speaks all the volumes it needs to you look back in February at the Waste Benjamin he finished fourth and you think okay well JT might be able to get something rolling here this is 20th 21st after that then his putter at the Players' Championship, is that's where it really started to get bad. He finished 60th there. He finished 10th at the Valspar. But then the infamous miscut at the Masters where he played the last how many ever holes, like the last five holes at five over par, I think, to miss the cut by one or something along those lines whenever it was pissing down rain. But at the same time, those aren't things that you do. You want to be another major champion as he has been winning at Southern Hills, obviously, then winning at Quell Hollow back 2015 PGA Championship. But the putter, Woody, is really just – What's been horrible? He's shown some flashes in there, finished T9 at the Travelers, played really good the final three rounds there. But also, too, fairly interesting, we look at the putter. Over his last uh, six of his last seven tournaments, he's lost strokes gained approach to green with the irons. That's something we're not used to seeing from Justin Thomas. So it's, we keep highlighting just the uh, how bad the putter's been. That's been more of an overall season. But over the last uh, over the last seven tournaments, where the irons have been absolutely horrible. I don't really think JT's done a lot of anything good the last few weeks. I think the pressure that he's putting on himself, though, is so immense, guys. I just I, I don't think anybody does anything in life when you feel like there's an axe hanging over your head just waiting to drop on you. I think, I think it got to be a little bit less stressed to do anything well, okay? So... Whereas this has been a real gut check for him, and it was. I mean, I watched a little bit more of this golf tournament, guys, than any other golf tournament this year for that reason. I wanted to see what Justin Thomas did. And he, he played really a good, solid second round, hit a lot of pretty good iron shots, did a lot of things better to even make the cut because he started the first day at Eden Park. 
huge 70. And I'm going, oh, boy. But then he comes back and plays a really good second round. And the third and fourth round were decent. They weren't anything to ride home about because they were shooting pretty low scores at this golf course. So did I see more out of JT in this pressure week than I have in a long time? I did. I was pretty much – because I'm, I'm the guy that thinks he's going to be on this team. So instead of, you know, let's, let's beat him up, let's hope he starts to turn this thing around a little bit. I think we got to look at his – Overall record, he's 6-2-1 and one in Ryder Cup. He's 6-0 and oh in his President Cups in four balls, okay, where he's playing with a partner, 6-0, and oh, okay? So I, I hate it, but, but that's what Zach Johnson is looking at. He's also got to know that Jordan Spieth's calling him saying, look, I can take him, I can carry him, and we can do this together. JT and I play really good together. So I'm saying all this now, maybe a little bit too early, but I'm saying this because I, I think I know where Zach Johnson's going to go with this. And a lot of us are going to think it's a bad pick, but it could be a career-changing evolution for JT. If he gets picked, he goes and has a great Ryder Cup, slumps over, and I think he's going to come right back, you know, house of fire. But I know you guys don't think he deserves to be on the team. I'm not sure I do either, uh, I, especially the way Bryson DeChambeau's starting to play. And uh, there's a lot of choices, but are they all that much better than JT when you get right down to it? I don't know, guys. I just I got a real feeling, and I'm, I'm pretty darn sure I'm right that he's going to be on that team. Look, I like Justin Thomas. I thought he was a great champion at Southern Hills. But if I'm Zach Johnson, there's no way I can pick Justin Thomas to be on this Ryder Cup team. 21 starts in 2023, only seven top 20s, two top fives, and no wins. That is by far his worst year on the PGA Tour. And when I look at these guys that have the possibility to be picked for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Right now, let's just read this off. You have Scotty Scheffler and Wyndham Clark who are locked in, locked in. They have already qualified for the Ryder Cup team on the U.S. side. And then you have Brian Harmon in third, Brooks Kepka in fourth, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay in fifth and sixth. So if that does not change, those guys will be locked in for the top six and not need a captain's pick. 7 through 12 on the Ryder Cup standings sound like this. It's Max Homa, Cam Young, Jordan Spieth, Keegan Bradley, Colin Morikawa, and Sam Burns. You have Ricky Fowler in 13th and Justin Thomas in 14th. So, fellas, that's not even considering Bryson, who just shot 61-58 the last couple of days to win the golf tournament on a course that has you know, held PGA Tour events in the past. If current form, fellas, is important to Zach Johnson, then Bryson deserves a call, absolutely. But I don't even see a world where I would even consider Justin Thomas over Ricky Fowler or over Keegan Bradley. I am not trusting the way that Justin Thomas has played more than those guys. And then you add in a guy like a Bryson, who definitely should get a call based on current form. JT's fifth, sixth, maybe on my call list as far as making these captain's picks. Because when I look at the list, fellas, as far as captain pick 
picks that are already locked into me. Max Homa's getting on the team. Jordan Spieth's on the team. Colin Morikawa's on the team. Ricky Fowler's on the team. And then you have Cam Young, who just finished in the top five at the Open Championship. That's great current form. So, I don't know. I, I mean, Keegan Bradley, he's played a whole lot better than... Justin Thomas this year, and then you have the guy that just shot 61-58 in the best tournament of the weekend as far as strength of field goes. I don't even understand what we're arguing about, T-Dub. And I've been saying it forever, but now that this is officially the end of Justin Thomas' season, at least for 2022-2023, we can analyze his play and say where he's officially standing on this Ryder Cup standings. And I went down and I added it up. He would be 19th or 20th pick on my list. And so he's at the bottom of a B team. If we had an American, uh, United States B team, that's where he would be at. Just because, as you mentioned, there's so many players that I would rather have over Justin Thomas. I'm not even going to list them all. I'll just list some of the live guys that I'd rather have. Obviously, Bryson's playing better than him. Kepka's automatically on the team. Our man TG is so much more deserving of a pick than Justin Thomas. It's not even funny. And then another guy that's uh, Justin Johnson is not playing very good golf right now, so I understand if you want to not pick him, so that's okay. But somebody's been playing really good and be a great team environment. I think Harold Varner's very deserving of a pick as well. He's been playing tremendous this season. One at the Live Washington, D.C. So, yeah, I think he would be an outstanding option as well. Won't get picked. I don't think any of those guys besides Kepsu qualify will get picked by any stretch. I think even even if Bryson goes out in Edminster's next week and shoots three more 58, I don't think he'll get picked. That's how bad it is. But, yeah, Sam's exactly right. You got the the, 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 four, the four captains picks that are for sure in Oklahoma. Speed, Morikawa, and Ricky for sure. And then you go from there. You're going to pick Keegan on the team, Cameron Young, Sam Burns. These guys who actually have a chance these next three tournaments to be able to play and, and have some more high finishes get their on to be able to get up onto the standings. Then you have someone down like Tony Fina, who's the 16th player analytically, who might have a chance. Then you have another guy who's not even getting considered, Russell Henley, who went bogey, bogey, bogey this last week, or he could have potentially won. He's a 13th player analytically right now. So, once again, a lot more guys deserving over Justin Thomas, Woody. And now that we've been hammering this like a like a sad drum, in all honesty, but now that Justin Thomas' season's officially over, I think we can officially say that you do think he will be picked on the team, but I, I'm still going to stand by to be an absolute crime if he is. Yeah, I, I agree. It'd be a crime based on the way his performance has been this year. I just know in my heart how these guys get with their brains about past Ryder Cup performances, past team unity, past all those things. They can, guys, they can look in so many different ways and make it so that you you don't even think it's possible why they'd be on. But somehow, some way, I still believe he is going to be on that team. And I, I just think he's going to be on that team because of his past record. Nothing about his performances this year. There's no way. You guys are so right on with it. There's no way you should pick him. No way you should pick him. Trust me, he's going to be on that team. We're going to just have to get used to the idea. I agree with you, Woody. I think that Zach Johnson is going to pick Justin Thomas to be on the team through no other fact other than the fact that Justin Thomas is great friends with all of these guys. He's very, very well-liked. He has had a solid Ryder Cup record in the past. But, guys, when I look at the Ryder Cup in Europe since 1993, they haven't won. So why not change it up and go with guys that are actually playing well at the correct time? 
to me, if they pick Justin Thomas and they go out and lay an egg, they did it to themselves, T-Dub, and they're setting themselves up for a bigger disappointment and bigger ridicule and criticism than if they were to pick a guy like Bryson who just shot a 58. Well, in all seriousness, you have to look at the guys that would be left off the team. Just imagine Zach Johnson's called it to Cameron Young or Sam Burns and saying, hey, bud, yeah, you, you know, you played a lot better than this guy Justin Thomas did this season, but we're still going to pick him instead, and you're going to have to sit home. And it's like, how are you going to do that? It's, I, I don't understand. Because I don't feel like any of those guys would be disliked in, in the room as well. It's not like a Patrick Reed situation, and I would completely understand if it was a situation like that. But it seems like all those guys would be liked as well. I don't know. It's once again, there, there's a lot of golf to be played for. Not there's no golf to be played left for Justin Thomas, but there is a lot of golf to be played for these other guys. And, and someone will be able to make their stay. Who knows? We might even have a Brian Harmon situation where someone comes out of nowhere and wins a couple of events. What if? What if someone down there who's the uh, who's 24th in the standings right now? Our man Taylor Moore. What if he goes out and wins the FedEx St. Jude Classic and then has a top five again? at the, the next week at BMW. All of a sudden, you have a situation like that where he gets thrown up there and he would have to be picked. So, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of golf to be played, Woody. There's no doubt. Or if a guy like Taylor Gooch goes out and wins at Bedminster or Bryson wins at yeah, Bedminster. Yeah. I mean, you have to now, look this, at guys playing well with current form. Woody, am I crazy for thinking that as a captain? No, no, no you're not. You're not. I, you guys are making unbelievably good arguments. The only guys that can really make a push now to get in there will be Sam Burns, who could have three really good weeks, right? Uh, Keegan Bradley, who could have three really good tournaments. Those guys you mentioned, I'm still not a big Cameron Young fan. I don't think he gets in Rome worth a darn, and that's just my opinion on that. But I I just think these three weeks are going to be pretty important for those guys on that bubble. But – no matter what, JT's going to be on this team. <laughs> I know it. I just feel it. It's going to happen. So those other guys better play hard this week if they want them to get picked. Yeah. I I mean, I know you're right. Zach Johnson and Justin Thomas shared a house at the Open Championship. They're good friends. You have, obviously, Jordan Spieth and JT's friends with everybody out there. It, <laughs> It makes sense as far as team chemistry goes, but it makes zero sense as far as current form goes. I mean, if you want to have him as a locker room guy, just let him go be a vice captain. I heard you guys talking about that last week on the podcast. Let him go be a vice captain, but don't make this guy that has played horrible golf all season go out there and lose the Ryder Cup for another time in Europe across the pond. I mean... This is one of those situations where it's the good old boys club and you're going to pick the guys who everybody likes, who has the experience, and that's just how it's going to be. And unfortunately, that's why the U.S. keeps losing in Europe. And I hope they don't pick Justin Thomas. If they do pick Justin Thomas, they have what's coming to them. I mean, they really do as far as the Ryder Cup goes in Europe in Rome. That's going to be very interesting to look at as we go forward. T-Dub, any final thoughts on the Ryder Cup discussion? Bryson, JT, any of the other names down there in the captain's pick list? Well, just for, for JT, like I, I understand. I, I agree with what, what he's saying about Cam Young not fitting in Rome. I've been saying that for quite a while, but I'll tell you what. You can't hit your irons and you can't putt. Your, you don't, your game's not going to fit anywhere. So Justin Thomas's game is not going to fit Rome's course whatsoever because especially with how narrow the, the fairways are going to be and how 
the greens would be a little bit slower as well. Saw how well he played at the Open. So I and there's just so many other players that are more deserving than him with how they've been playing. If there was just one or two, I could understand. But there's six to seven guys, and unfortunately, Bryson, TG, the live guys that they unfortunately they don't have a chance. Kepka winning the PGA Championship, finished second at the Masters, is the only reason that he's going to be picked on the team as well because even with the merger stuff, I just feel like they would find no – they're not, not even considering their golf. They could still consider the tournament's exhibitions, which is just an absolute joke to me. But but that's the ground they stand on. But at the same time, there's still a lot more players on the PGA Tour that are more deserving than JT. So it's – you guys are probably right. He probably ended up will being picked. And you're exactly right, Sam. The U.S. team's going to get what's coming to them if they put uh, if they put someone who's the 54th-ranked player analytically whenever you have multiple guys that are inside the top 25. That would not be picked. It's uh, exactly, you get what's coming. And T-Dub, you're the analytics guy. I do want to fit this in here. This is from Lou Stogner on Twitter. He does a lot of golf analytics stuff and gives some great stats on Twitter. It's at Lou Stogner uh, on X, I guess is what it's called now. Not Twitter anymore. But anyways, fellas, this stat, listen to this. Bryson, and this was before he shot 58. Bryson, over the last three months, for those who are not already qualified for the USA team, Bryson is third in strokes gained per round on Data Golf. And yes, Data Golf adjusts their numbers based on the strength of field. He's eighth overall in this stat over the last three months. And so when I look at that, plus he's probably second or first after shooting 61 58 in this last tournament to win the golf tournament. I just think you've got to look more at current form, and maybe I'm not factoring in team chemistry enough, but to me, team chemistry is a little overrated. You've got to go with guys that are playing good, at least in this situation, when you have one guy playing really well and one guy playing absolutely horrible. I know he finished 12th this week, but he's missed you know numerous cuts throughout the year and hasn't been able to putt all year. I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it either, but when it comes right down to it, the politics is what's going to get messed up here, and with, if Zach Johnson does pull that trigger and pick him, which I think he will, if he picks him and then he fails miserably, uh, get ready. Uh, you know what? Our podcast will call it out. But the rest of the media, not bring politics in it, but, but we as a president doesn't know which way to walk off the stage every time he speaks. But we never see it or hear about it. Okay? We, I'm, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just telling you the way the media, the way politics works. If he goes with him and he plays good, Lord help us, I hope he does, then he's going to be the star of all stars. If he plays bad, they will cover this up like a dog burying a bone. Okay? There will be nothing bashed at Zach Johnson for this pick. So just get ready for that, too. Except on our beloved podcast, we will call him out. Nobody else will. So I couldn't agree anymore with you guys from the standpoint of doing the right thing justin thomas cannot be on the golf on that Ryder cup team from the standpoint of i got a a a captain that gets to call it he's going to be on that okay so it's just what it is i I wish we could change the world guys but we're not going to do it that is wise words from our man jim woodward taylor williams also with us this is sam humphreys here on the 73rd hole podcast we need to hit a break but after the break stay with us because we do have the pga tour schedule for 2024 out we also have 
the FedEx St. Jude Classic, and Liv Bedminster previews coming up after the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you want to follow us on social media, that's at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. And then also hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode like this one. Let's hit a break and we'll be back after the break on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd hole podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we are back on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Speaking of Golf Oklahoma, you can read a story right there on the front page of GolfOklahoma.org about the 2023 U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship qualifier that was held out at the Greens. J.R. Hurley of Norman shot a 4-under 67 to top the deep field. You had uh, Patrick West of Tulsa shoot 3-under to qualify, and the third spot went to our man Ian Davis, friend of the show, uh, who won the State Am last year. He's played numerous big-time amateur and professional golf tournaments in his past. He went in a playoff after shooting a 69. He won a playoff over Zach Robinson of Edmond and then Daniel Mitchell finished as the second alternate. He shot one under 70. Uh, So you have Zach Robinson and Daniel Mitchell as the alternates. Ian Davis, Patrick West, and J.R. Hurley are headed to Sleepy Hollow where Speaking of Cam Young, that's where his dad was the head pro there for a long time at Sleepy Hollow in New York. So big congratulations to J.R. Hurley, Patrick West, and our man Ian Davis. Uh, Fellas, let's talk about this PGA Tour schedule for 2024. The main changes for 2024, fellas, is that four... Of the 12 signature events, they're not calling them elevated events anymore next year. They're calling them signature events. There'll be 12 of those, but only four of those in 2024 will feature a 36-hole cut. That will be the Players' Championship, the Genesis at Riviera, the Memorial, and the Arnold Palmer at Bay Hill. Every other tournament of those signature events will be limited field, no-cut events. T-Dub, any thoughts on the schedule for 2024? The other difference in this schedule as well is that the uh, Olympics will be July 29th through August 4th of 2024. So we'll have the playoffs starting a little later than normal. 
Yeah, definitely the Olympics is going to be something we're going to have to keep an eye on for sure. It's always very fascinating. It's something that we haven't had the first year we've had it. It was 2016, I believe. The last time they had it before, that was 1800 or something like that. So it's always cool to see that, that come around. Yeah, the schedule was, we, we were curious with the merger news that there was going to be a lot of change up. There really wasn't. Biggest changes that now we're calling them signature events. So they were designated, then they were elevated. Now they're signature. Who knows what the hell they'll be called next year. So I, I don't know why they keep changing that. But they do. The, the Pebble Beach tournament is going to be an elevated event, which is pretty cool. Going to get to see all the best players on the PGA Tour at three tremendous golf courses. That's going to be really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how those players enjoy that, considering they have to play with the amateurs of the likes. That's one of the reasons why it's had one of the more weaker fields over the last decade or so, more than likely. Some other changes are the Mexico Open, which was usually in April. It's now moved up to February. The Houston Open is now going to be at the end of March. It was a fall event. Now it'll be there, so that's pretty interesting. Have essentially three designated events in a row towards the end of the season. You have the Memorial, which is now going to be the week before the U.S. Open. It used to be two weeks before. Then you have the U.S. Open. Then you have the Travelers Championship, which is, again, an elevated event. So probably not the best of, of situations for the Canadian Open and the Rocket Mortgage, which are right before and right after that. I can't assume that many players will be playing in, in those as well. So, yeah, not – in all honesty, Woody, not an abundance of shakeup, but at least there's a, a few different new tournaments to keep us interesting. Another another thing to note is that the uh, the what used to be the Honda Classic does not have a sponsorship or does not have a sponsor currently, so it's called the Classic in the Palm Springs. I'm sure they'll get a sponsor at some point, but uh, I mean, there's at least a few things that that were tweaked, Woody, and I'll be interested to see how, especially with the Olympics, that's always very fascinating. Yeah, the Olympics throws a little bit of a, a kink in the whole schedule because we only have that every two years or every four years, I mean. So I think uh, the, the biggest change I thought when I saw it was, of course, Pebble Beach getting elevated. I did see where they're going to do it a little different this year at T-Dub. They're only going to play at Spyglass and Pebble. They're not going to have a three-rotation golf courses there. They're going to change that. So those guys are going to be on two different golf courses, and that's all. The amateurs will be done by Friday, so they'll get rid of them so that the tournament on the weekends is just your stars. And at that point, those guys will be all on pebble. So that'll be an interesting week to see how that goes. I think these uh, signature events, as we're going to call them, I think they're going to make a difference in a little bit of ways, but not much. What I really want to see is I still haven't seen where Yachter's going to come in on this. I know he's going to. I just don't know how big a push he's going to make or what he's going to make. Um, I think when you get down to all this, we still don't know a lot. We still don't know what Lib's going to do. We still think Lib's going to be there. We, we Everybody says Lib's going to be there. So, Let's wait a little bit longer. Let's get through the Ryder Cup. Let's get to the end of the live tour this coming three events, four events when they go down to Miami. And then let's see what happens with Greg Norman. Let's see what happens. Obviously, it looks like Jay Monahan's going to weather the storm to me. That You talk about Justin Thomas shouldn't be on the Ryder Cup team. Well, Jay Monahan should not be the commissioner of the PGA Tour. I, I just. If you want to have a travesty, I think that's more of a travesty than putting JT on there because at least JT has a record of doing something good. I'm I'm still looking what Jay Monahan's done with the lick. So I think as this year rolls into next year, we still got a lot of things going to change and a lot of things going to happen, guys. And I'm I'm for one going to look back and just want to watch and see what happens. It's interesting you mentioned that, Woody, because I was told by a PGA Tour pro, and I will not say 
a name here, but I was told by a PGA Tour pro this week that he wishes that Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference, was the commissioner of the PGA Tour instead of Jay Monahan. He said that Brett Yormark comes in and makes all these great changes, and the only thing Monahan has done is ruined everything uh, since he's been the commissioner. That's coming from a PGA Tour player, uh, you know, Woody. I, I think that a lot of players feel that way, that they do not stand behind Jay Monahan. T Dub one thing that I wish they would have changed that they didn't is the RBC Heritage and the Travelers both come after the Masters and the U.S. Open respectively. I thought it kind of diminished from those two tournaments with it being the week after a major when guys are tired. I wish they would put a week in between. I could not agree more. Sure, yeah, that's something that, like I said, RBC deal, that was last year without saying thing. Like, man, it's the week after the Masters. Like, come on, give these guys a break. Just put the RBC at a different place in the schedule. Just put one week in between, as you alluded to, but now they decided not to do that. And then, obviously, they just went full-blown with it. We made it different with the U.S. Open. We're going to have we're gonna have a memorial back a week. So now we're going to have three elevated events in a row. Let's see how you like that. So I, I'm not sure, especially when you have the Olympics into the situation, I'm not sure if that was the best way to go. But for whatever reason, they decided to do it. So good for them. As a player, I would not like it one bit. But at least for viewership, it'll at least get the adrenaline flowing for at least multiple week stretches to go at a time for sure. Yeah, I, I again – I was always as a player, I played, if I played three weeks, I felt pretty good. If I played four, I started to burn out. If I played five, I was a bitch. Okay. So I think that puts a lot of heat on those, those upper echelon players, but that's what they want. They want those guys in those golf tournaments. So people, the viewers see it. So, Hey, you get 4 million for winning. So I think you can suck it up and handle three weeks. If you can't, would you mind calling me and let me volunteer to take your place? Because I'll finish DFL, but that's a big check. Yeah, I, I will say this, though. It's not just three weeks because you have that stretch there from the end of April to really the, the middle of June where you have you know, the Wells Fargo, which is elevated. Then you go... Myrtle Beach, a guy, guys will probably take that off. But then you go PGA Championship, Colonial, Canadian Open. Guys will probably play one of those two weeks out of the Colonial and the Canadian Open. Then you go Memorial U.S. Open Travelers. That's a tough, tough stretch right there, Woody. I, I just wish, considering you know you have the Rocket Mortgage and John Deere after the U.S. Open, after the Travelers, I mean, you could have switched one of those weeks after the U.S. Open and, and given those guys a week off after that major championship, after that long stretch. But that's nitpicking the schedule right there. But, fellas, this is all subject to change. As Woody said earlier, Yasser could come in and blow this thing up. Live players could be playing on the PGA Tour we don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Liv's going to have their own schedule, at least for 2024. There's too many gray area things to figure out. I think a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, the PGA Tour schedule's out. And then it was T-Dub, basically the same schedule that they were going to release before any of the merger stuff ever even happened, right? Yeah, essentially, yeah. And there was, like I said, not, not an abundance change. The Houston Open was always planned to move back into the rotation, I believe. Ever since they came out with the fact of right around the same time they said that the the signature events now, as they're called, will go to limited field. No, because right around the same time. So a lot of the changes they made during that announcement is what came out here. So, yeah, not, not an abundance of change. And like I was saying, really, since the merger, I think it's going to be 2020. 
probably 2025, maybe even 2026, before we see a real abundance amount of changes when it comes to the schedule and, and reference to the merger. And we, uh, guys, we all know on this deal that we're still not for sure that this merger is even going to go through. You know, with Tiger going on the player advisory board, and they everybody says Tiger doesn't want to do it. So we we still don't know about the merger. That's why this schedule didn't change. I'm going to tell you, that's what's going on, because we still aren't for sure. Even though we think it's going to happen, and we'd like for it to happen, because it would only be fair for these live guys to be able to go back and play some tour events besides majors come on let's let's get over that let's get the best players in the world playing the best golf on the best golf courses let's let's go from there we've said two tours will work and it has that they're both moving right along but i still think it would be a lot better for all of all the parties involved if we just have one tour and and i think that's what we want to get to let's see how it works out i don't know Fellas, Woody mentions it right there. That's a perfect transition for our last broad topic of the day before we get to a couple previews for this week. Tiger Woods has now joined the PGA Tour Policy Board as a player director. He said, quote, I am honored to represent the players of the PGA Tour. This is a critical point for the tour, and the players will do their best to make certain that any changes that are made in tour operations are in the best interest of all tour stakeholders, including fans, sponsors, and players. Uh, T-Dub, this is a good thing, I think, anytime you get Tiger Woods involved with something. Uh, Tiger also went on to say that Jay Monahan has Tiger's confidence moving forward. Um, I think this is one of those situations where Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour as a whole has looked so bad that what do you do? You have to go find someone that everybody respects, and that's Tiger Woods, and I mean, I got to give it up to Tiger for wanting to do this. This is a whole lot of work that he doesn't have to do. But I I have to say, in good faith, and you know what side I've been on in all of this, but anytime you get Tiger Woods involved with something, it's probably going to be a success. So I think this is a good move by the PGA Tour. Oh, yeah, 100%. In all honesty, when I saw it, I was a little bit blown away in the sense of I thought Tiger was already in a position where he would have at least some say. But no, it's he had to be... Um, I guess appointed that position, and I thought forever that Tiger had control until I hear this merger stuff, and they say, "Oh well, yeah, no one really knew about it, and yeah, none, none of the big players knew, and, and that happened." So the, the the amount of player control that I've I've thought forever that the players had, the more and more I talk to players like Woody as well, and I just realize and I see, it, especially the mergers when it finally hit me, I'm like, hey, "These guys have no control at all. It's pretty crazy." So yeah, maybe a Tiger gets in a position, Woody he might be able to make a little bit more change, but at the end of the day. Who, who actually runs the PJ Tour as control? I have no clue at this point. <laughs> That's the funny thing about it. None of us have a clue who's running the PGA Tour. But I think the only reason why Tiger did decide to go on that policy board is because of that debacle that happened. That none of the players knew what was going on, him included. I, I you know, I'm, I, I don't know Tiger Woods. I'm never in a room that he's even been in, hardly, except my first year when I played the PGA and his locker was right by me. I'll tell you this. He was pissed. I truly believe he was not a happy camper. And he has really matured over the years. You won't know he wasn't a happy camper, but he was not happy with what the, how this all came down. And he said, what do I have to do to get in here? And Jay Monahan is going to come out and say, oh, yeah, we're all excited. But it could be the, the nail in his coffin, too. If Tiger gets in there and looks around and he doesn't like what's going on, 
there'll be some changes, guys. I think Tiger did this because we all know his days of playing are winding down. He might not be able to play again. We don't know what goes on with his body. So if he can't play, he's got to keep the PGA Tour afloat because whether you guys laugh at this or not, Tiger doesn't need it. But there's a lot of guys out there getting a retirement check from the PGA Tour. And the last thing that all these former players need to do and see is all of a sudden the PGA Tour doesn't exist. There's no money. Oh, no, 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 no. Tiger's not going to let that happen. And he's going to step foot, and he's going to do whatever it takes. So I'm not shocked at all. I, I, I figured he could do it behind the scenes, but I guess this is the politically correct way to do it. Now that he's on there, he's not going anywhere. He, he one day could very easily, guys, if he wanted to, be the commissioner of the PGA Tour. I agree with you, and I think this is partially a PR thing, right? Because we know who has control. It's the guy with the money, Yasser, but... I will say this, no one has more control over public perception than Tiger Woods and the PGA Tour after they got smeared and looked like the big hypocrites that they were, they had to put someone in charge, not necessarily in charge, Tiger's just on the PGA Tour policy board now uh, as a player director, but at the same time, anytime Tiger Woods is in those meetings, in those board meetings, it's a good thing, and the public is going to look at that and be like, well, they're at least making changes for the better, and maybe they're listening a little bit more to Tiger Woods than that hypocrite Jay Monahan. Do you see what I'm saying, T-Dub, about Yasser as the control, but if the PGA Tour does put Tiger Woods on this policy board and players respect him, fans respect him, the stockholders and sponsors respect Tiger after all of those people lost respect for Jay Monahan. This was a no-brainer decision if Tiger wanted to do it, and he did. Hey, you got you got to pass the, sh- the ship up when it's sinking for sure. And, and this is definitely a PR thing to keep it up. And yeah, it's. I mean, what he's exactly right. What he was saying earlier about. I agree that Jay Monahan still being commissioner of the PJ Tour is a bigger travesty than JT got on the Ryder Cup team, and that's a, a pretty big travesty to say the least. So, but no, nah, it. Once again, yeah, you're exactly right, Sam. You follow the money, but at least at this point. Until everything's been finalized, I'm just like, what direction is this going to go in? I, I, I have no idea. I do think Tiger's getting into more position of, I've been saying for the last couple of years, that PJ Tour ever does it for nonprofit, that he'll be an owner at some point, the PJ Tour. He could be the commissioner, as you were alluding to. So, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of moving parts here that, that need to be aligned, and it's probably going to take years before we fully know the full circle of everything that's going to transpire. Professional golf over the next decade is going to be drastically different than it was is, of course, a majority of our lives. So is it going to be for the good? Hopefully. Is it going to be for the bad? I sure hope not, but there's always a chance of that, unfortunately. Real quick, Woody, I want to say this to kind of clear up what I was saying about it being a PR thing. I do think that Tiger is wanting to change, you know, the PGA Tour for the better, and I do think that he was pissed off about what happened with Jay Monahan because we didn't hear a word from Tiger Woods until we heard about this, that he's not – out here saying he supports Jay Monahan like Rory McIlroy did, or he's not bashing Jay Monahan like other PGA Tour players. He is putting his actions in into action instead of words, right? And so uh, I respect Tiger, and I, I think he's making the right decision, but I do want to, and right decision for the right reasons, but I do want to remind everybody that when Yasser is in control, the reason why I say that is this framework agreements, the the ones that became public in that uh, in that hearing in Congress, it's going to be the PGA Tour 
abiding by Yasser's rules. So the reason why I say it's a little bit more PR than you might think is because Yasser is going to set forth his rules and then Tiger and the PGA Tour policy board can they can do whatever they want under Yasser's rules that he sets forth in the framework agreement. Yeah, but let's let's look at Tiger Woods from the time he first got on the PGA Tour to where he is now. He doesn't do anything that isn't calculated. When he's winning a golf tournament, it's calculated. He knows exactly how to win a golf tournament. Everything that man has touched as far as through his life is calculated. The only thing he didn't do well calculating is thinking he could just jump all over the place and do whatever he wanted in his personal life. But he learned that pretty quick, too, okay? So he's a fast learner. Whatever he does is not to fail. So I think he's got a really good relationship that you might not know about with Yasser already. He's already been over in Saudi a number of years. And he's a smart man is what I'm trying to tell you guys. You won't know it until he drops a hammer on you, okay? But he has calculated the next five to ten years of this PGA Tour. He's already got it in his mind where it's going. I promise he does. And if he needs, if he has to have Yasser along, he'll take him along. And Yasser, even though he was, does have the money and he has the stroke to make whatever happens, if he's got Tiger Woods behind him, then it'll be successful. P-Dub, we won't have to worry. This thing will be bigger success than you'll ever possibly imagine. I'm just telling you that Tiger Woods is a very, very smart man, and there is nothing about this that he hadn't already figured and where he wants it to go. That's exactly right. And T-Dub, I got to say this, is that I've been on Liv's side the entire time. Why? Because I'm on the side of the players and I want what's best for the players. Now, I honestly feel like the best thing for the players is for everyone to be unified. And the best way to do that is to bring in a guy like Tiger and to all start working together instead of trying to tear each other down like they have been for a couple of years and finally we saw the hypocrisy from the side that was trying to tear the live guys down for doing the exact same thing that the live guys were doing doing what's best for themselves so my point t-dub is that going forward i want what's best for the pga tour and if they bring in tiger and start making moves like this i'm all for the pga tour doing that i really am Oh, I agree. Yeah, if, if Tiger's behind it, the odds of it being successful are, are very, very high. That's why I am very, very confident in just where I, I feel like that the game will go from here. It was clear that the civil war that has been occurring over the last year in golf well, was not going to be good for the future of, of the game by any stretch. It, it was the official world golf rankings was the big thing because then you had well the, the live guys aren't going to be getting into the majors and it was it was just diluted and it was just it gave people like us something to talk about a lot, which was a good thing. But as overall, for the overall health of the game of golf, the conflict was just not there. So, yes, whatever's the best way to end the conflict is the best way to go about it. And the simplest solution, at, at least from our perspective, would be to merge. There's a lot of logistics to go behind it. But, yeah, if we can get everyone under just one umbrella of the game of golf, it, it would be best-case scenario for sure. Well, the only way to do that is you get a, a really true good leader and if you're talking about golf, at this stage of golf, it's Tiger. It's Tiger. Now, 25 years ago, and I told you it was Jack Nicklaus, right now it's Tiger Woods. He, he can fix what everybody else has messed up. I, I truly believe that, and that's why I know he came on board with this. And this, this player policy board, yeah, yeah, 
he's so far above that. It's a joke. You think he's like the other five guys that are on that player's policy board? <laughs> really? Come on, guys. Are you kidding me? Gee whiz, okay? That's a, that's a, that'd be a fool telling you that. So I feel like he, like I said, I feel like he's got a plan. He's going to initiate it how he wants it to go. He's going to give Yasser. If Yasser and those guys are free to do what they want to do, and this thing's going to turn out really well. I, I can see it. I really can because he's involved in it, and he wants to be involved in it. That's exactly right. I couldn't have put it any better, Woody. If Yasser and Tiger and Jay Monahan and everybody's on the same page, then golf is going to be bigger and better than it's ever been. And I think it's already more popular with the fans than it's ever been. But I think that the PGA Tour is going to have more respect from the players and the sponsors than it's ever had with Yasser and Tiger and everybody on the board and the players. If they're all on the same page, golf is just going to go up and up and up. And I honestly feel like it's going that way because we saw the depths that it can go when one side tears down the other side. And so I feel like it's going to only go up from here. We'll talk more about that hey, going hey, forward. Sam, go ahead. Sam, yep. Sam, think about this. In, in any sporting event, what do you have to have? You have to have a villain because that's what gets people to watch. So yep. When you get right down to it, you got to have rivalries, a villain. You got to have something. Well, that live was a villain in a big way. And a lot of people hated it, but a lot of people liked it. And so what it did is it forced the PGA Tour to do something different, which was not – that's what we needed. We needed a villain. We got one. Well, and then the PGA Tour ended up being vilified in the end. It was one of those great Shakespeare stories, T-Dub, where one side was not necessarily the hero. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain, and that is 100% what happened to the PGA Tour. <laughs> That's exactly right. They used to have a story. This guy used to tell me a story when I was playing golf for a living. He says, where do you have to be patient? I said, well, how do you be patient? And he said, what you do, you got to be the guy that stands by the edge of the river and watch the bodies float by. Then you cross the river. <laughs> That's great okay. advice. Great advice from our man, Jim Woodward. Fellas, we could talk more about that going forward, but we got to move on here. We got the playoffs and we have Liv Bedminster. Let's start off with the playoffs. We have the FedEx St. Jude Championship this week in Memphis at, at TPC Southwind, one of my favorite courses that I ever played in junior golf. I love TPC Southwind. Bunch of water on the golf course. Um, we've seen it for many, many years. It's a playoff event now. Used to be uh, right around the time of the U.S. Open. But, fellas, we have a stacked field, as as you would expect, in a playoff event. The top 70 guys going at it. Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, and Xander Shoffley are your top five favorites for Memphis. T-Dub does the winner, and I ask you this every week, does the winner come out of those top five? Well, considering we are at the very end of the season when it comes to the one-and-done pool, and so I do not have any of those top five guys left available. So I sure hope that it is not the case because I'm right there in the money, Sam. I do believe you're in the money still, even though you, I think you went like three weeks in a row without making a pick. Pretty ballsy <laughs> strategy there. <laughs> but but hopefully, it, hopefully it works out for you, buddy. But, uh, but no, it, it's like you said, it's an overall loaded field. you got the top 70 players that have played this year on the PGA Tour. So no, I, I really do think it'll be coming from someone down. Also because 
This isn't a course, as you mentioned, same with all the water. It's not a course that you necessarily have to overpower. Obviously, distance any course you go to, but traditionally, it's not necessarily a bomber's paradise by any stretch. So I, I do think it'll come someone just a little bit further down, Woody. And who knows, as we were talking about earlier with the Ryder Cup, there may be someone who just comes out of absolute nowhere who ends up making a name for themselves. And also, too, we keep talking about the American team. There's a few guys on the, the European team who, who have a, a claim to make as well for their chance to be able to get picked. So there's a lot of moving parts of this tournament. I think that the, the top five, I, I think it'll take them a couple of weeks to get rolling. So I don't expect that the top five to come out and play really well this week. Of course, I'd say that, so I'd bet one of them if I was also one of my listeners out there. Um, I think that the, the, the playoffs in general, those five guys that Sam mentioned, like I said, I don't I don't know how hot they'll come out, but by the time they get to the East Lake, they'll be ready to roll. Those are the guys I'd look at when you get to East Lake. I think there is somebody, you know, maybe that's 50, 45, 40, that's going to make a move and maybe do something pretty special this week. I'd still say there's a number of those guys saying, I got to play really good these next two, three events and try to get on Zach Johnson's radar. Every one of those guys wants to play a Ryder Cup, and that's the that's the highlight of any guy's golf career. So I think they'll be ready to play more than those top five. Fellas, I got some interesting picks for this week. I do not think the winner is coming out of the top five. I kind of agree with you guys that it'll take them one tournament to get rolling, but I could be wrong. Anytime you have Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, those guys – up there, I mean, Scotty Scheffler, who has played unbelievable golf this year on a course with a lot of water, ball striking will be paramount. Hard to bet against Scotty Scheffler. I just have a weird feeling about one of these guys this week. Sepp Straka. Sepp Straka finished second at the 2022 FedEx St. Jude Championship. And he has been playing some really good golf. Now, he did miss the cut at the 3M Open after he finished tied for second at the Open Championship. The week before, he won the Open Championship. He won the John Deere Classic. A guy that has solid current form, has been putting great. And the last time he teed it up here, he finished second. I'm going with Sepp Straka to win the golf tournament. He's my first one-and-done pick. My other one-and-done pick, T-Dub, for this week is going to be Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa finished fifth here in 2022. And so I, I think that Colin Morikawa, although he hasn't played great golf this year, he should be up there when we consider you know guys on a course where it distance isn't necessarily paramount you got to put the ball in the fairway ball striker keep it out of the water you don't necessarily have to putt great the tpc southwind you got to hit a bunch of greens and hope some putts fall i'm going with sep straka and colin morikawa this week with my one and done picks by the way colin morikawa i'm speaking of his putting he gained shots on the greens at the Memorial, the U.S. Open, the Travelers, and the Rocket Mortgage. Now, he lost shots on the greens when he missed the cut at the Open Championship, but it's not like he's putted horrible the second half of the year, T-Dub. And something I did not have on my bingo card for this show was me and Sam having the same one-and-done pick this late in the season. But we do. I'm going with Colin Morikawa as well. He's, he's a guy who really likes this course that he's played, over the, that he's played here three straight years, finished 20th, 26th, and T5 as well. So, yeah, definitely likes this place. That place that he's putted pretty good at as well. I believe two out of the three times that he's played this course, he's gained strokes on the greens, which is something that if Morikawa is able to make putts, he's going to have 
a decent chance. So I definitely like that. He has lost strokes with the irons two of the last three events, so I'm a little bit cautious of that. But uh, hopefully it was just a little fluke. And then my other pick, I'm going with uh, Ben on. I finished second last week. He's been playing some really good golf over the last month, and I believe he's the highest-ranked analytically guy that I have left besides I think I have Cameron Young left in the one and done. I have Keegan left, but I got to save some guys for Eastlake, or I may not have a guy in the top 30, Woody, to, to make a pick. So uh, I have to save at least a couple of people. So I'm going to go with Ben on, but I'm throwing out a little bit of a flyer with Morikawa. Hopefully he can get a win, and me and Sam can both move up the scene. Well, you should have done like Sam. See, if you took three weeks off, then you'd still have a lot more guys. So uh, I think <laughs> Sam's got this great strategy. I think I, I, I keep saying Sam had a great strategy instead of saying they just had a brain fart. Okay? So <laughs> let's, let's, let's go with the positives for him. Okay, you guys ready to to pick Ricky Fowler and Lucas Glover. I think Lucas Glover could throw a real wrench in the Ryder Cup system. I think this guy found something. And I know he can strike the golf ball. And if he thinks he's a good putter, and he does right now, I think this guy could possibly throw a wrench in this whole deal. Win maybe one or two of these playoff events. Wouldn't that be crazy? Then what the hell is Zach Johnson going to do then? So that's why I'm picking him because I just kind of in my back of my mind, I want to see this turn into just a cluster as it comes down to the final picks of the Ryder Cup team. So, and I'm going with Ricky Fowler because I saw Sam McNaughton on the range yesterday at Oak Tree. Sam is uh, Ricky's agent, been his agent for I don't know how long. And I looked over at Sam and I said, hey, did you tell Ricky to go to Butch? And he goes, let's just say I didn't tell him not to. And I said, good <laughs> choice. I said, how we feel about the Ryder Cup? He said he's going to make it on points alone. He's not even going to need to be picked. So I thought, wow, okay, there's some insider information that I didn't give you guys before the one and done, but those are my two picks. Love Sam McNaughton. One of the most confident guys out there, right, Woody? I love listening to Sam McNaughton talk golf. Uh, Great guy, Ricky's agent. Speaking of Lucas Glover, Woody, you mentioned him for the Ryder Cup. He's now in 35th place. He moved up 29 places after his win last week. But, I mean, like I said, he's in, what, 35th, so it's going to take something miraculous for uh, for Lucas Glover <laughs> to make about, the Ryder how, Cup team. Yeah, but how about two wins in the next three events? I mean, yeah, that would do it. <laughs> probably. It. Yeah, I think it. it would probably do it, considering he also had a, a few other top fives in his last five tournaments. So, yeah, I mean, Lucas Glover, that would be an amazing story. Um, fellas, back to my picks, by the way. So, <laughs> you're right. I have had massive brain farts because uh, – Let's see. I picked at the Scottish Open. I picked Kurt Kitayama, who missed the cut. Then the next week, or I guess the Barbasol was the week of the British Open. I didn't make a pick there. I didn't realize we had to. Then I picked at the British Open, and then I did not pick the Barracuda, the 3M, or the Wyndham. That was kind of on purpose, kind of not, because if I would have had someone to pick, it would have come to my mind. So I didn't have anybody to pick. Now I got extra guys to pick in the playoffs, fellas, and now for the season-long standings in the one-and-done with, you know, 100 people, uh, I am sitting there tied for, uh, let's see, I'm in 12th place now. 
uh, in the season-long standings. I'm at 18 million, or really almost 19 million, and the leader's at 24. But I could jump up here in the playoffs when I have guys and these other guys don't, T-Dub. So maybe the key to the one-and-done is to just not pick for three weeks in a row. What's the old saying? Take a couple weeks off and then quit? Take a couple weeks off and then just pick everybody. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure there's anyone that you would want to pick these last six picks, last three tournaments that you wouldn't have used at the Barbasol Championship. So you might have been able to throw out maybe just someone down at the bottom of the barrel to at least potentially get you a few dollars in there. But the, but the no pick, just the, the, the and also the consistency of it as well. It's like, okay, we didn't forget this week. Then we actually did a show the day of the, the 3M. We interviewed Scott Tway. We didn't, we didn't make any picks on, but we at least talked about the one and done. I said, I almost forgot to make my pick. I told you to make a pick, and you still did pick. I tried everything I could, Sam, to help you out, buddy. But maybe your strategy worked, and you're beating almost everyone in the pool. You're beating me right now, so uh, hopefully it works out for you, buddy. Who hey, do I Sam, have left here? Sam, Sam, if, if I'm listening to you too, which is always fun, I believe he just called bullshit on you. That's he, what I believe I just heard. He definitely did. Uh, so if I pick <laughs> Colin Morikawa and Sepp Straka this week, that means I have Cam Young, Tom Kim, and Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Corey Connors, Hideki, and <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, so going forward, I'm going to catch lightning in a bottle if I want to win this thing. <laughs> hey, you and have me both you have a very select few players left, but that's why they call it a one and done. Have you any of you, you guys have used Lucas Glover? I have not used I Lucas Glover. See, I picked him and last week. Sam's taking as many weeks off as he has, and he's still picked Lucas Glover. I will have questions. Hey, I picked Lucas <laughs> Glover last week. It just didn't go through. It must have been bad Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. Now oh, I'm there we go. on that. Blame the connection now. <laughs> oh, wow. good stuff. What, what a way to end the show with a bunch of lies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, guys, we got we got to really quickly preview Lib Bedminster. We went through all the standings and stuff earlier on in the show for Liv, but do you guys have any thoughts on Liv Bedminster this week? One of the best courses that they play on the Liv Golf Tour. As far as your favorites for this week, Bryson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, Mito, and Taylor Gooch are your top five favorites. I'm going with Taylor Gooch this week. At Live Bedminster, didn't uh, I think Dustin Johnson won there last year? T Dub, he could have a better week after finishing way down in the middle of the pack last week at Live Greenbrier. Totally different course than they played last week. Last week was a birdie fest. Live Bedminster is more of a major championship venue. T Dub, yeah, it hundred percent is. That's where the uh, the two thousand twenty two PGA Championship was supposed to be, and luckily it went to Southern Hills, which was an absolute blessing for us in our state. It was absolutely. Great, and Henrik Stenson was actually the champion here last year. Dustin Johnson finished second along with That's right. Matthew Wolf finished second as well, so hopefully look for Matthew Wolf to, to keep playing some good golf as he has. But if you ask me a top five pick, would you go DeChambeau, Cam Smith, Kepka, Mito, and our man TG? I would go with someone out of the top five, especially when the number one pick will be shot 61-58 his last two rounds. It's going to be hard for me not to pick Bryce. That'd be a tough one not to pick. See, and that's cool because I'm going to go Cam Smith because I think Cam Smith's trying to catch Taylor. I think Taylor's trying to keep Cam Smith from catching him, and I think Bryson DeChambeau is just on a roll. So if, if we don't have the winner out of those three, then somebody like Mito's going to get them. I don't know who's going to get them, but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's what's going to happen. 
do you guys think the range goats will win the team title? This week? Um, I, I think they have a good chance. I mean, like you guys were talking about earlier, Harold Varner finished sixth at Greenbrier. He won in D.C., 11th in London. He's been playing some really solid golf. They need to get some good play out of Bubba Watson. Thomas Peters is always a wild card. If Taylor Gooch goes out there and shoots, you know, double digits under par and, and Varner plays good, I think they can. It's going to be interesting to watch this week. Good point, Woody, is that it's going to be Team Crushers versus Team Range Goats coming down the stretch to see who finishes in that top four to get the bye in Miami, T-Dub. And I think I would probably lean Range Goats just based on how the bottom half of uh, Crushers has played. Bryson's playing better, but Charles Howell Third and Honorbon Lahiri, that those guys need to show up this week if they want to beat the Range Goats. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think getting a bye at first team event is going to be extremely, extremely huge. And when you look at it, though, I'm going to go with Team Torquay. They're on a, a massive run right now. Keep talking about, I think, Joaquin Neiman's going to finally start playing some good golf at some point. Is it going to be this week? I'm not sure. But if, but if it does happen this week, then that team is chewing. David David Pooch played really good this last week, so maybe if he can keep it up. But I think Mito is as close to a surefire thing as you have right now out there on live. So they're in very good state. All of has been playing some decent golf as well. So I, it's hard for me to pick against uh, Team Torquay at this point. I'm going to go with uh, – I'll go with the Range Goats. Woody, who you got? You think you're going to go with the uh, four aces who just finished DFL? We'll give you the four aces this week. Well, you guys sometimes – you just amaze me with your kindness. Yeah, I'm not going with the four aces. Gee, many Christmas. That would be like you being a brain fart, and I'm not going to do that. Um, you know – I still like what I was talking about the individual race because I think those guys really are thinking about it. Who did you pick the range coach, Sam? Did you just say that? How about this, Woody? I'll give you the range goats if you want the range goats. I'll take the four aces and Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed on a really tough golf course. Give me the four aces this week to win after uh, after finishing solo last last week at Live okay. Greenbrier. You can have the you can All have right. the range goats. I'll take the four aces just for fun. Okay, let's go with that. That's that's kind of you. And you'll probably win, and you'll you'll rub it into all of us when we come back next week. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to watch, and I am very excited to see if you are Zach Johnson and you do still kind of give Bryson a chance to make this team. I doubt that he's feeling like that, just based on the politics and what we went over earlier. But it will be interesting to see how many fairways Bryson hits this week because he was hitting a ton last week, but it's also Greenbrier, and there's not quite as much trouble out there. You can get yourself in some bad spots with some bad angles to greens out at Bedminster. If he drives it as well as he did last week on a really tough golf course, that's going to be interesting to watch if this new crank golf driver, which is a long, a long drive company, uh, this driver <laughs> that Bryson is using, a different CC head. That is what I'm looking forward to most as far as, you know, just watching this golf tournament and kind of, you know, nitpicking it technically-wise, T-Dub. Yeah, I didn't even know that they crank made drivers that were conforming to the rules. So that's uh, very interesting to see. Maybe they were able to make him a customer. Maybe they do. I don't know. But like you said, some are long for the long drive guys, and they have slightly different standards for what they use. But, yeah, if Bryson keeps hitting like he has. And then, like he did at Greenbrier, he just made putts. It's absolutely Beautiful thing to see, and as we alluded to earlier, he's not going to get picked for the Ryder Cup team. I think he could he could win this tournament by ten shots and still not be picked, which is an absolute shame. But it is good to see him get plays some good golf, and he's definitely rounding in the form 
unfortunately, it is a little bit at the wrong time because the majors have passed now. Because if he was playing like this, he would definitely be a favorite at the majority of major courses. Maybe not Augusta because he, he kind of sent them by saying it's a par 67. I think the golf gods will forever hate him at that point. That's pretty good that T-Dub remembered what he said about Augusta, and the golf gods do get you. So that that's a good line to end on. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, Woody, last thing I was going to get to, speaking of Bryson, do you have any great stories of guys shooting like 59 or 58 that you've played with or maybe yourself? You know, I shot uh, – the only time I've ever broke 60 in my life, I did it at Gallardia playing with a buddy of mine named Gary Pearson. And I was using a belly putter for the first time. And I thought, holy cow, I found a miracle here. And then about the, uh, a month later, I said, no, I didn't. So um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it worked that day. But uh, the lowest I think I ever shot in a golf tournament, uh, as far as even PGA went, was uh, I did shoot 62 there at Memphis. Um, in, gosh, I guess it was 92 or 93. I can't remember which year it was. But I did shoot 62 at Memphis. That was the lowest I ever shot. I never played with anybody that shot 59, for sure not 58. Uh, so, no, I don't have any really good stories on that. I'm sorry. Well, Woody, I mean, that's interesting because we're at Memphis this week. You shot 62. Was it at TPC Southwind? Yes, it was. I shot 77 the first round. And I had all my stuff packed and had a flight booked. And uh, my little, I had two little girls at the time that had played with some Labrador puppies. And uh, they asked Daddy that night after the first round, Dad, if, if, can I, we have a puppy? And I said, no, we can't have a puppy. And, you know, a little girl, they just whined. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, if I make a cut, I'll get you a puppy. I thought, well, well there's no way I'm going to make a cut. So that was a safe bet. Then I went out and shot 62. I was so excited about how well I had played. I went to the press, press room, came back out. What's the first question they asked? Daddy, when can we go get the puppy? They didn't get one rat about my 62. <laughs> that is a great story. You've told that before. I didn't realize that was in Memphis. Uh, what do yeah, you, I mean, what's the key What's the key to going low out there? Damn if I know. If I knew that, I'd have done it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 there, is, there is a lot of water, and, and, and you do really have to hit the ball well, but when you shoot that low, you just make a lot of putts. And and I do remember that day, I just striped it off the tee. I hit some really great irons, and I made about eight miles of putts. I don't know what happened that day. If I'd known, Sam, I would have done it more than once on the PGA Tour, but I had no clue how I did it. <laughs> Maybe you just had to play for puppies every single time you teed it up. Uh, T-W, yeah, did we I mi- forgot about the puppies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot about everything. Maybe that was the secret. I just went brain dead for 18 holes. I needed to do that more. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That is Jim Woodward teaching professional out at Oak Tree National. T-Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys back on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you are not already subscribed to the 73rd Hole Podcast, definitely make sure and go do so. It's absolutely free. And it just helps us out. And it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode just like this one. And also follow us on social media. I am at Sam Humphreys 34 You can also catch us on at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole 
on Instagram. We will be back on Sunday for the 73rd Hole Radio Show and back on the podcast next week. Also, catch us on thesportsanimal.com here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast.